You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The film is Crimson Tide, which came out in 1995 and was directed by Tony Scott. This year... We have a properly formatted emergency action message from National Command Authority. What we've always known... Bravo, Echo, Echo, Charlie, Alpha... ...becomes what we've always feared. Gentlemen, this is the captain. Russian rebels have threatened to launch against our country and are fueling right now. This is not a drill. No. Sir, we have a possible submerged submarine. You find out who that is. Receiving emergency action message. Recommend alert one. The battle for survival begins. That's a message fragment. Sir, we don't know what this message means. Our target package could have changed. I've made a decision. There's no place for fear. He's lost his nerve. And nothing can stop the tide. Watch your aim. Block Captain Ramsey's in his stateroom. Fire one, now! Give me the missile key, Mr. Hunter. It stars Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, Viggo Mortensen, George Zunza, James Gandolfini, Rocky Carroll, Matt Craven, Danny Nucci, Lila Brancato, and Jason Robards. The genre would be submarine thriller. Go Bama! Roll Tide! <laughs> what better movie to rewatch with your father during the holidays than this mid-90s gem? Probably one of the great dad movies ever made. I mean, there are literally no speaking parts for women once you get past the 10-minute mark. Even Das Boot had more of a female presence, at least periodically, when they would get off the titular boat. And that works because this film is pretty much a pure chamber piece for about 95% of its runtime. Most of it taking place on the USS Alabama, run by seasoned Navy Captain Ramsey, played fittingly by the Hackman, in all of his late career, crusty, seen-some-shit glory. He has just been paired with a new XO, meaning second-in-command, Stephen Hunter, played by Denzel, smack at the point when he was burnishing his reputation as one of our great actors, and just as he was becoming a household name. This was Hackman about three years removed from his Oscar-winning scumbag sheriff role in Unforgiven, and Washington about three years removed from his Oscar-nominated role as Malcolm X. And if that doesn't convey how much of a titanic pairing this was, nothing else will. In other words, the sailor most likely to win the war is the one most willing to part company with the politicians and ignore everything except the destruction of the enemy. That You'd agree with that? I'd agree that uh, that's what Clausewitz was trying to say. But you wouldn't agree with it? No, sir. No, <laughs> no I, I just think that in the nuclear world, a true enemy can't be destroyed. Attention on deck. Von Clausewitz will now tell us exactly who the real enemy is. Von? <laughs> in my humble opinion, in the nuclear world, the true enemy is war itself. Because besides being one of the great submarine thrillers of all time, in my opinion, just narrowly above Red October, which my father was quick to remind me while viewing this, that's his personal favorite, and a great chamber piece, which could almost be reconfigured just a bit as a top-flight stage drama, 
a la 12 Angry Men, Crimson Tide is just one of the best twofers I can ever recall seeing. Having these two actors square off against each other was just a stroke of genius, even though neither of them was actually the first or even second choices to play these roles originally. The whole drive of this plot is basically whether this particular submarine should launch nuclear missiles on Russia, per one received electronic message, even though another incomplete message came afterwards, which might contradict it. It's a high-stakes story for sure, and we've sort of seen similar scenarios play out before in movies from war games to failsafe, albeit in dramatically different settings. But thanks to the pairing of these two actors on opposite sides, Washington's Hunter is urging for more caution and to find out what that second message actually stated, while Hackman's Ramsey feels resolute that his orders are clear-cut to proceed with a missile launch. This scenario has never been more dramatic or cinematic. And if you're me, you're inherently behind Hunter from the get-go. He seems smarter, more likable, inherently decent, and of course he's being played by Denzel. This was early in his years as a full-blown star, but you had all the critical Denzelums in place already. The nervy laugh the thousand-yard stare, and even unique pronunciations of common words like nuclear holocaust. What if Rachenko surrendering is over? Hmm? We launch, they see us, they launch. Our birds pass each other in the air. Boom. What do you got? Nuclear war. Nuclear holocaust. Adding to that, neither Hackman nor the screenplay by Michael Schiffer wait too long before letting the audience know that his captain is an old-school misogynistic dickhead, pretty much right away when he makes an off-color remark comparing horses to teenage girls. Hey, horses, they're fascinating animals. Dumb as fence posts, but very intuitive. In that way, they're not too different from high school girls. They might not have a brain in their head, but they do know all the boys want to fuck them. <laughs> you don't have to be able to read Ulysses to know where they're coming from. And apparently the screenplay was polished by several other writers of note, including Quentin Tarantino, whose contributions are unmistakable. As a result, it also seems easy to underestimate Hackman's intelligence, his character's intelligence. But going back to his explosive breakout roles in Bonnie and Clyde, The French Connection, The Conversation, there is almost always more to Hackman than just meets the eye. He can get hot-headed, but that doesn't mean he's easy to relinquish control from. And that's how this whole scenario pretty much plays out. You have tense standoffs, a mutiny, a counter-mutiny, etc. Remove Mr. Hunter from the control room. Get no, Lieutenant sir. Zimmerman here no, right sir. now. No, sir. I do not concur, and I do not recognize your authority to relieve me under command under Navy regulations. Cobb, arrest this man Captain and get him out of here. here. Under operating procedures governing the release of nuclear weapons, we cannot launch our missiles unless both you and I agree. Cobb, what are you waiting for? Authority, sir. This is expressly why your command must be repeated. It requires my assent. I do not give it. And furthermore, you continue upon this course and insist upon this launch without confirming this message Stop first. I will be Chief of the boat. by the rules of precedence. As Captain Commanding Officer. And still, even with two top flight actors and such a juicy scenario, this could all fall apart without a sure hand in the director's chair. Fortunately, that didn't happen, as we had the late, great Tony Scott at the helm, just a couple of years after his unexpected masterpiece, True Romance. With that film, Tony Scott proved that he could direct more than just single-minded star vehicles starring megawatt stars at the time like Eddie Murphy or Tom Cruise. In the case of True Romance and Crimson Tide, 
He had this amazing cast of strong, established actors from all over the map, and he utilized each of them perfectly, sometimes with just one or two scenes devoted to letting them shine, and never detracting from the story. And as much as he keeps the story focused on this ongoing mental chess game between Denzel and Hackman's characters, literally just barreling from one key development to the next with perfect forward momentum because this film just moves at just under two hours, Tony Scott also makes great use of a pretty stacked cast of mostly up-and-coming actors playing the crew of this submarine. You have a young, smooth-faced Viggo Mortensen as Weps, close friend to Denzel's Hunter, but also torn as to what his duty is, as he is the one controlling the triggers to those nuclear missiles. He doesn't even say much, but is constantly sweating, smoking, and shifting his head in uncomfortable angles so that you just know that this dude is tormented. He also plays a key part in our trailer moment but we'll get to that a bit later. You also have pre-Sopranos James Gandolfini just killing it as Dougherty, the loyal lieutenant to Captain Ramsey, who not only orchestrates a counter-mutiny, but just has such a shit-eating grin on his face as the tension ramps up. You just know that he has some unresolved shit that he's looking to unleash on Denzel's Hunter. Step aside, Tommy. I'm sorry, sir. The XO ordered Fuck us. Fuck the XO! The ship has been hit. And I'm going in to see my captain. Now stand aside. Stand aside! There's Lilo Broncato and sadly his only notable role after a Bronx tale, which he was fantastic in, just chewing up the scenery is the sad sack Vossler who just wants to fix that damn radio. There's the irreplaceable George Zunza as Cobb, the unexpected fulcrum of this two-man conflict, as you can see how much it pains him to be doing the right thing at the expense of his longtime superior, Ramsey. The legendary Jason Robards coming in for just the last play in the fourth quarter to be the man to reprimand both Hunter and Ramsey at their court-martial hearing. Now, you may have been proven right, Mr. Hunter, but insofar as the letter of the law is concerned, you were both right. And you were also both wrong. This is the dilemma that will occupy this panel, this Navy, and this country's armed forces as a whole, long after you leave this room. Off the record, you've both created one hell of a mess. And among so many others, you even have the usually subdued character actor, Matt Craven as Zimmer, genuinely relishing his moment to shine by gleefully delivering this film's most ridiculous piece of dialogue. You don't put on a condom unless you're gonna fuck. And there are plenty more gems where that came from. There is no shortage of macho dialogue throughout, but it feels apt as you can clearly feel the sense of urgency and desperation that most of these characters are exhibiting. Tony Scott fills the screen with so many close-ups and Dutch angles, and yet it all works towards ratcheting up the tension, keeping things claustrophobic, but never taking you out of the story or where we are supposed to be situated within the geography of this submarine. It also helps that he gets a huge assist from Hans Zimmer, delivering what I believe might be his most hummable score. Having now rewatched this film just so many times, it's pretty difficult for me to find any real criticisms, but there are some. There's an over-reliance on faux CNN clips to provide exposition. The amount of sheer physical activity that Denzel's Hunter is allowed to engage in, all within a crowded submarine. I mean, this crawl space is where you just need to slightly crouch. Really? It stretches credibility at times. And yes, he's cute to look at, but Ramsey's Jack Russell Terrier named Bear, he just gets a distracting amount of screen time. But
But still, overall, this is a near-perfect thriller filled with tension, humor, and a compelling central conflict at its core. It's Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking at its best, and it's great for dads of all ages. And that brings us to the categories. In this case, we're going to combine the first two. Best needle drop, the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, and the trailer moment, the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, mixed in with all the macho bluster and back and forth, there was also plenty of thoughtful dialogue, usually from Denzel, who delivers potentially cheesy lines like these with enough forcefulness to have you buy in. This occurs in one key exchange towards the end when both Hunter and Ramsey are at an impasse regarding the launch of nuclear missiles and whether they should hold off on getting a complete EAM emergency action message. This exchange between them is the first part of the trailer moment. Radio, we are receiving flash traffic, emergency action message, recommend alert one, recommend alert one. Fuck yeah! Alert one, alert one. Doggerty, Western Guard. Zimmer, get that EAM. Aye, sir. God help you if you're wrong. If I'm wrong, then we're at war. God help us all. And that leads us to the second part, which includes the needle drop. And this is one hell of a needle drop. Hans Zimmer's main theme, called Roll Tide, remains one for the ages for me. And when that orchestra kicks up, it's enough to just make you want to stand up at attention and salute. You have the chorus in the background, the synth beat percolating throughout, just truly rousing music. The theme picks up at a few key moments throughout the film, but none better than at that very critical moment towards the end. I'm not going to spoil it, but you kind of get the idea. But let's just say it comes after a very important announcement. And that brings me back to Vigo, playing Weps, who guards all these all-important nuclear launch codes. As I said, his character does a lot of silent physical acting throughout, but never more so than during the trailer moment as Zimmer's theme is escalating. We see the simple payoff of his back to us, with a simple fist pump in the air as the camera then closes in on half of his smile. At a key moment, just these simple gestures from his character make it all the more gratifying. That brings us to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Okay, maybe Vanessa Bell Calloway could have been given a few more lines of dialogue in the opening 10 minutes as Hunter's wife. She's a good actress. Or anyone else female, for that matter. I think I can cut this film some slack as it's pretty much a chamber piece set on a boat with all men. And that brings me to the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, it pains me to do this, but sorry, I just have to. This is a three-way tie, as you have career best or near career best work from three key players here. You could make a very strong argument that this might be the best film Tony Scott has ever directed. He just brings all of his signature style and pizzazz to the story, while also just building wonderful tension and making perfect use of such an extensive cast. 
And yes, Denzel, he has probably given better all-around performances in movies like Malcolm X, Glory, Flight, and probably The Hurricane. But this could very well be his best, quote, movie star performance. This was a breakout role for him, headlining a box office hit for the first time in his career. It's just all the more impressive when you think of the likely blander performances which we could have seen in this role of Exo Hunter from other movie stars at the time who were almost cast in this very role, including Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Now, nothing against those guys. I could see both those guys doing very well with this role, but none of them would be tearing up the screen right alongside Hackman like Denzel does. Build Bay Con, Seal and Bay. Con, I say again, seal at bay. Lieutenant Hellman, you have your orders. Now seal a goddamn bay before we all go down. And then there is that music from Hans, Hans Zimmer. It's iconic music for sure. It's so iconic that it played during literally half of the action trailers during the 90s. You could hear it playing during sports broadcasts, presidential campaign speeches, and it was even covered by one of today's premier metal bands. Nightwish. This is just an all-time score and definitely one of Zimmer's best. And in case you couldn't tell, I just love this movie. And I just cannot imagine it working so well if not for the contributions from the star, the director, and the composer. Therefore, I anoint Denzel Washington, Tony Scott, and Hans Zimmer as co-MVPs. My rating for Crimson Tide would be five stars out of five. Whether you are a dad or not, there is no reason for you not to enjoy this movie. And for me, it's one of my personal favorites, right up there in my all-time top ten. And speaking of dads, I would just like to give a shout-out to my father, Stuart Gershon, whose birthday happens to fall on the date when this particular episode will be released. I remember seeing this with him in theaters, And though he personally prefers The Hunt for Red October, future episode Red October, by the way, love that movie, he shares my love for this film as well. Happy birthday, Pop. And if you're looking to watch Crimson Tide, it's currently streaming on Hulu and Paramount+. And that ends another mutinous review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.